You're listening to the Townsville Chambercast. Essential information, ideas and news that matters to the business community of Townsville. We would like to thank our show partner, Adits, for making this podcast possible. Adits are a local IT provider with one purpose, to implement effective technology solutions which empower their customers to achieve their mission. You can find out more about how they can support you and your business over on their website, adits.com.au. A-D-I-T-S In this episode, Ross sits down with Matt Kelly from Regional Economic Advisory and Carl Valentine from PVW Partners to discuss the Townsville Economic Review and to look at where Townsville has been, what some of the opportunities are coming out of COVID-19 and some suggestions to make these opportunities a reality. Welcome, Ross, Matt and Carl. Thanks very much, Claire, and thank you, um, Matt and Carl, for coming in and joining us uh, in the beautiful studios here. Matt, if I could start with you, I mean, this this little report sort of came out of a, a, a bit of an offbeat conversation, and we, we sort of sat down and thought this would be a really good little uh, snapshot to do. Things have changed a lot uh, with COVID over the last sort of 18 months. So um, just tell us a little bit about the report, what your thoughts were, and, and what we're trying to say here. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the idea of the port was, report was just to have a look at those key statistical indicators for Townsville, get an objective view of what's happening on the ground. Obviously, we all have our own views on what we're seeing and make a, a call on where that lines up with the future. So, you know, the, overwhelmingly, the data is very positive. Um, right now, whether you look at population, population growth rate doubled last year, over 1%. If you look at the leading indicators like the housing market, very, very tight and strong. So we'd expect that to be even higher going forward and getting back to those sort of two, two and a half percent a year growth rates that really is the Townsville long-term trend. Similar story with the economic activity, gross regional product, 1% growth during the first year of COVID, um, not to be sneezed at at all. And even if you look at the five-year growth rates, you know, 1.4% per annum, quite good considering we had... um, pretty horrific flooding in 2019. So very good. Um, The labour market, very, very tight right now. The most recent figures from the Department of Employment looking at 5.7%, so over a percentage point under the state average at the moment, an area of low unemployment, which is that longer term story of Townsville, a place of opportunity, you know, diversity and growth. Yeah. And obviously, Carl, PVW Partners, a big client base up here in the North. Are you seeing that flowing through to our, our businesses? Yeah, we certainly are. We've just completed the next instalment of the PVW Partners Townsville Business Confidence Survey. And that's a survey that's been running continuously since September 1991. So we now have 30 years of data around how Townsville's business owners and managers are feeling. The December quarter shows quite strong positive sentiment still. It has come off slightly from the September quarter, but if we actually look at it year on year, the 2021 survey results are the best survey results we've seen since 2007. So it's taken a long time for Townsville to get back up to where it was pre-GFC, but some really positive sentiment coming through, which puts us in a really good position for the future. And I know, Carl, when that report came out early in the year, I remember you sort of highlighting the fact that, look, this was the first time you jumped above sort of some 2007 numbers. And even as we've gone through this sort of mixed little period over the last six months, you're still seeing that flowing on, which which sort of indicates it's not a blip. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I very confident to say that we've seen some sustained levels of confidence. The last five years have been generally positive. The five years prior to that, not so much. So it's a wonderful position for Townsville business owners. Matt was just talking about things like labour market shortages. We're also seeing some higher cost inputs for some sectors of the economy. So there are some headwinds against us, some uncertainty still around when borders are going to open and things of that nature. But for the most part, Townsville is ready for business. 
Fantastic. Yeah. And I know as we sort of go through this report and try and sort of paint that little picture, Matt, you've kept an eye on the uh, the major projects or the pipelines of projects uh, coming into the region as well. And I guess business owners have got a bit of an eye on that. But just tell us your feelings around that and what's happened sort of as we come out of COVID now. So Sure. So what, what we're really seeing looking at the pipeline is there's a lot of long-term projects in Townsville that are happening. Um, the, the big residential developments are starting to pick up that are all uh, zoned and approved. So places like Elliott Springs providing a lot of activity there. You've got things like the port, uh, the long-term expansion out at James Cook University. So while, while they're construction projects, there's a lot of security to them and ongoing work, which is great for local businesses. And then you've got sort of newer projects coming online and there's a real diversity of, of things that we're looking at. You know, Army investment with the Spark facility there. Um, you've got the Ville going in with about $80 million for a new one. So tourism um, confidence in the tourism sector that's great um, and then the the federal concert hall which has just come on the radar now for about a hundred million dollars so a lot happening i think you've articulately pointed out too it's not just one sector it's not just defense it's not just construction like there's there's multiple things happening in different sectors so and this probably relates to carl's sort of business confidence sector Mul- multiple industries are having a go and it's always been the underlying strength of townsville has been that diversity of the economy um you know obviously there's been some setbacks in the previous five years as carl's talked about but we've got so many different drivers here between the manufacturing the healthcare, the education sector um professional services as well so even if everything's not happening there's enough to sort of stimulate activity and growth yeah okay did you you want to add anything to that as well carl or are you seeing anything i I think a lot of our clients are more positive because they see that pipeline in front of them and one thing businesses love is a bit of certainty that if they're going to put someone on today that they're going to have work for them in a couple of years time so it's a it's a good time to be looking ahead investing in the future yeah, yeah. And, and probably some of these, you know, when we talk about the pipeline, like, you know, we were talking about the defence, like the Singapore stuff, you know, we were talking about that in 2015, 16. But, you know, we had Amy Lever in here not so long ago, actually saying, you know, these are the guys you've got to talk to. This is where you put your capability statement and someone's building a fence up there. So those big projects that we've been talking about for so long are actually getting started. There, there is things on there. And businesses are smart, Ross. You know, they, they know what's a, a blip on the radar and, and what sort of long-term growth opportunity. And the, the response is very different in terms of building capacity, hiring long-term staff. So it's so very important to get that security and the, the time frame. It's great to see that that's happening. Yeah, no. And I mean, we, you know, we always look, like to look at the positives and then we always like to look at a, you know, a, a way of, of making it easier and, and making sure those uh, opportunities are, are seized. And uh, the Chamber this year, you know, and at the end of last year, always sort of highlighted insurance as a, as a, as a major issue. And we, and we wanted to, to revisit that in this report as well. We got a major announcement back in May about the $10 billion reinsurance pool for Australia. And, and we're all looking at the design of that and trying to make sure that that has the biggest impact as possible. And, and Matt, you've done some interesting work on this the reinsurance pool not so much about the pool itself but the difference that it would make to our local economy here if we start to see some of these projected price decreases come into the market and what that will play locally yeah, here absolutely so the modeling we we did in the report was looking at household expenditure essentially if we put those those dollars that are currently going into higher insurance premiums back into people's pockets and back back through the economy and even a pretty modest decrease of about a thousand dollars you're talking 300 direct jobs in the economy almost up to 500 once you once you're including the multiplier effects so you know that that's a, a clear area where we can do better you know the economic impacts modeled in the report are quite conservative because it's also talking about things like construction investment beyond the, the household and the residential sector too so it's it's a big deal as big as many of the the significant ongoing projects that are 
out there, fixing insurance itself could be game changing. So, so let me just, what, what you're saying is if, if we can get a, a, the average premium of a thousand dollars down, <laughs> we're going to get multiplying effects of, of three to 500 jobs it's, just in the Townsville region. Absolutely. Just in the Townsville local government area. That, that's right. Um, and and there's there's more than a thousand dollars worth of of leeway to get equalisation. Yeah, because we we've tried to get some data sort of around the countryside, and I mean, it, there's no harder industry to get data out of than the insurance industry, as as we all know. But you know, a, a, that's a that's a pretty conservative number you're talking about there. A thousand dollars. That's realistically only about twenty five percent reduction on the average household. Yeah, I've I've certainly got data on my properties, and they're about four thousand dollars. So yeah. Um, you know, very conservative to be to be fair, um, and that's that's not just applying to Townsville. I mean, a lot of Northern Australia is in a in a similar boat. So it's uh, a key issue that that's holding back that that opportunity and that growth that's waiting to happen. Certainly in this city, because that thousand dollars that's going to go to our retailers, that's going to go to our hospitality, that's going to go to our restaurants, that's going to go uh, wherever the the consumer discretional spend is, because it's going to be exactly that, isn't it? It's going to be something they didn't have before. Yeah, absolutely, and you know, obviously it's it, it's dependent on local spend and local content. I know the chamber's pushing hard because that's where the, the benefits are. Yep. Um, but it's also our, our property market we're talking about coming into housing shortages and, and things like that. It's the key constraint in terms of building new new dwellings to, to get the people that want to come here is just that cost of insurance. Yep. Yeah. And I know we've done some sort of modelling on particularly, you know, affordable Develop, like affordable housing, so you know, multi multi um, residential building sort of thing, and that's a major issue there. The insurance there, so but yeah, I, I found it fascinating when you started to run the models, and 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 it really is significant. So I mean, Carl, we've we've talked to you in the in the past about a, a good old competitive um, tax environment as well up here in North mm. Queensland, and that that definitely can't be underrated. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about a few options here, but I, I'd love to start on payroll tax. A uh, <laughs> A chamber favourite. I know it's one of yours as well. Um, we've looked at a couple of things over the time, and and you know we have got very small reductions in payroll a couple of years ago, one percent, um, and probably masked because of COVID the effectiveness of that. But tell us a little bit about as we've gone through this COVID thing and we've started to see workforces, I mean, decentralise, I guess, move into other working from home or working interstate. Just just tell us a little bit about what you're seeing with with the complexities for business with payroll tax? Yeah, so while a, a lot is being discussed around the ability for people to work anywhere, anytime, employ people in another state because technology is now allowing that and business philosophy is changing, we do see payroll tax as a potential impediment to that virtual mobility of labour, if you like. So, for example, I'm an employer, employer here in Townsville. I'm already over the payroll tax registration threshold. So if I wanted to employ someone in Victoria... I'd have to register for payroll tax in Victoria now and pay payroll tax in Victoria. So that's another payroll tax compliance obligation that my business has. So someone in my team has to file that payroll tax return. It's another payment I have to make to another government body. And there's another annual return that goes with it. So there's a a small disincentive already just from a compliance perspective for me to cast my net further afield than just employ people. If the shoe's on the other foot, and we've got great people here in Townsville who could work for any business in Australia, why would an interstate employer choose someone in Townsville? Potentially they have that disincentive as well of, well, it's a Queensland payroll tax obligation. It's another filing. It's another payment I need to make. So we'd love to see a system that actually removes some of those impediments, whether they're genuine impediments or it's just in a business owner's mind that 
it's more complex to hire someone from interstate. We'd love to see those sort of impediments removed, and we've got a few ideas around how we might do that. Yeah, and I mean, I know when I spoke to you a little little while ago off offline, you know, um, I don't know how many business owners actually understand the complexities of payroll in different jurisdictions. So you you know, you mm. just gave an example of Victoria, but if if you had one in Western Australia, South Australia, and Victoria, you're talking about three different rates, three different thresholds, three different reporting systems. For three staff members. Yeah, you would have to have more employees. So you have to get to that threshold first. Yep, yep. So let's take a business. A fairly average medium-sized business has 20 to 30 employees. So yeah, if you have 20 to 30 employees here in Townsville and then you want to start branching out, you want to put someone in Perth, you want to put someone in Sydney, put someone in Melbourne, then you're bringing in three other jurisdictions where you have to comply with payroll tax. So in a really extreme example, if you are an employer that has people in every state and territory in Australia, not only do you have to figure out what your wages are for pay-as-you-go withholding purposes for the ATO, separate to that, you figure out what your wages are for superannuation purposes for paying super guarantee. You also then have to work out your payroll tax obligations in each state and territory you employ people. So there's another eight definitions of what wages are, because they're all different. It'd be too easy to have them all the same. <laughs> And on top of that, there's another definition used for workers' compensation purposes, which is unique to every state. There's got to be a better way to do it where you could have a, a standardised national system of helping comply with payroll taxes. And I'm, I'm really happy to note that you've, you've come up with one, Carl. <laughs> if, uh, I, I mean, um, you're very modest with this sort of stuff, I know, but it's a bit of a, a, bit of a passion of yours. But we, we, yeah. we do have an entity that knows all this information and we currently use, don't we? Yeah. I mean, before we even get to that, Ross, if yeah. I might, the best thing would be to actually get rid of payroll tax altogether. Well, uh, concur. <laughs> <laughs> solved. Problem solved. That's yep. right. Uh, it, it's unlikely we will be able to get rid of payroll tax mm -hmm. in the short term for a whole bunch of reasons. It is a major source of revenue for state governments and it's one of the levers they can actually control to create competitive tension to employers between different jurisdictions. So there are a couple of reasons why I don't think we get rid of payroll tax. So if we could get rid of it, that'd be awesome. If we can't get rid of it, well, we've either got to reduce the cost of payroll tax by playing with the rates or the thresholds. If governments are unwilling to do that, of course, governments do need revenue to provide public services. There's no denying that. Then the other avenue is, well, how do we make it easier for businesses to comply with? Because it is increasingly complex to comply with payroll tax. So a concept that is being discussed in various circles is, well, if we could develop a standard definition of wages throughout Australia, why don't, for example, we adopt the definition of taxable wages that's used for pay-as-you-go withholding purposes? So align what an employer already calculates with payroll tax obligations. So have a standard definition that employers are already coming up with. Then ask the ATO as a federal body to act as a central collection point. Every business is already filing activity statements, whether instalment activity statements or business activity statements with the ATO, with the right information in it to enable the ATO to calculate and collect payroll taxes across the various jurisdictions. So we don't need all these separate measures. We don't need state revenue officers to act as collection agencies for payroll tax. We already have a collection agency that every employing business already interacts with it on a monthly or quarterly basis. You then need an arrangement where the ATO quickly disperse those funds to the states because the states do need those funds on a timely basis. I think the benefits would be you'd actually increase compliance with payroll taxes because a lot of businesses are blissfully unaware that they have a payroll tax obligation, particularly if they are employing interstate. So the data is there. 
You'd increase compliance, you'd probably increase collection frequency and would ease a compliance burden for businesses. And I think every business owner would like to have something easier on their day-to-day list of things to do than something that's hard and more complex. Well, I think, you know, what you really highlighted, Carl, is that most businesses are already doing this in a form uh, every month or every quarter, as you say. Absolutely. Um, And it's basically not putting that file away and the staff member going and get a cup of tea and then starting on the the next jurisdiction, if you like. It's quite simply, and I'd even go as far as arguing that a lot of that information would almost be pre-filled after you've done your pay AYG and, and and your other obligations. Well, even going one step further... Businesses are already reporting. Businesses with employees are reporting to the ATO via a system called Single Touch Payroll. It's a fairly new thing. It's only been around for a couple of years. But every business is sending data in real time to the ATO on how much they're paying their employees and where their employees are located. You don't actually need much more data to then automatically calculate payroll tax obligations. The data's already there. It's just we have this uh, increasingly antiquated system whereby we're creating more returns to fill in. And uh, it's an inefficiency that business does not need in today's world. And I don't think anyone needs inefficiencies, to, to be honest. Like, as an argument to the states, I mean, and you clearly articulated, there, there would be businesses and there would be individuals that, that are blissfully unaware. And, um, you know, you're either going to get a, a knock on the door in, in a couple of years' time and you mightn't be able to pay it, or or even more to the point, it's it's never actually going to be acquitted and, and, and accrued. So mm. creating those, you know, efficiencies also creates certainty. Uh, we talked about that for business, but it also creates a, um, a an ease for, for governments. Yeah. yeah. And I don't pretend that it's an easy issue to implement. No. Uh, there's a big opportunity, but there's also a lot of challenges to actually implementing a solution like this. But let's at least have the discussion. 100%. And that's, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, no one told us that they'd introduce anything about insurance either last year, Carl. We had an that's ACCC right. report and uh, ACCC report and, and, you know, and but when quite often when opportunities arise and they make sense, um, you know, the government, the Queensland government's not going to lose any money out of it. The Victorian government's not going to lose any money out of it. And the ATO already know the information that, mm-hmm. that is required, um, it's probably a case of negotiating with the states for how quickly they want their money back. Yeah, and wouldn't it be wonderful to see the Queensland state government take the lead on taking this to the national cabinet and making it happen? 100%. And, and um, yeah, I, I, I can't think of a, a, a better way to um, to come into the new year, you know, um, insurance prices coming down and, and uh, in July 2022, your, your tax compliance obligations have decreased uh, dramatically as well. That would be wonderful. Wouldn't it? And uh, I know, I mean, payroll always takes up a good little chunk of our time and it's one of our, but there are some other little opportunities here as well in, in relation to, to stamp duty, those sorts of things. Yeah. It builds on the need to fix the insurance challenges we have in Northern Australia, that the high cost of insurance is a disincentive or potentially a disincentive for people to move here. Mm-hmm. Things like stamp duty on buying a residential property, your primary place of residence is a disincentive as well. Subject to the value of the property, you're paying twenty or $30,000 of stamp duty for the privilege of buying a home in Queensland. A progressive state government might look at that and say, well, actually, we would love to see more people move, particularly to the regions. So perhaps a regional reduction or exemption from stamp duty for buying your, your principal place of residence would be a proactive step forward. Council rates are another cost to homeowners wherever they live. But again, a progressive Townsville City Council might see rates as a lever they could pull 
to make Townsville a competitively priced environment for families, particularly from interstate, to move here, to live, work and play the way we do. Yeah, and I, I mean, enjoy this amazing lifestyle, this amazing city and, and some of the opportunities that are coming up as, as well, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no need to drive two hours to work. We can uh, we can get you there a lot quicker. <laughs> I know we ta- we, um, we we did a podcast a little little while ago about the human movement um, with Clayton Cook from over at TP Human Capital. And, and uh, yeah, he was very passionate about that. So I'm sure if we did get something across the line, he'd start promoting it to all of his uh, his networks and, and opportunities for people around the country. Look, the opportunity is, is so clear. Um, yep. you, you're looking at the low employment now. Trades are busy. Businesses are busy. Um, we, we've still got great affordability. I, I know rents and prices are going up, but the, the discrepancy is clear. I think we're about 50% of the Brisbane median house price and about 30 percent of sydney um just do the math yourself it's it's not hard um and the lifestyle and everything else is waiting yeah and i mean we you know we we sort of touched a little bit on the um the perception of townsville as well and and what people think uh about the city here and and, you know passionate people passionate um locals here uh definitely have a different feeling about the city that sometimes uh it's portrayed as well so we always like to to demystify that a little bit and, and talk about um, some of the good things that are happening here and some of the opportunities. And, you know, we don't shirk away from from some of the issues too, like insurance and, and, and looking at taxation. So, you know, as we as we sort of wrap up and, and things like that, it'd be good to get your feeling about, you know, Carl, you've got kids here. They're at the surf club every weekend as, as a minor. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it, it really is a great little spot to, to bring your family up, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think for the families who are fortunate enough to grow up here, perhaps they don't appreciate how good it is. Uh, growing up in Sydney and making a choice to relocate to Townsville, it's chalk and cheese. So one day soon, I think the rest of Australia is going to wake up and realise how good a place Townsville is. And I think all of us have a shared responsibility to be talking up Townsville, mm. not talking it down. Yes, there are some challenges from time to time, but overall, this is a very good place to live, work and play. And we should be promoting it at the top of our voices to everyone else in Australia. And I've, you know, been in those sort of promotional, you know, trying to, in a tourism sense for a long time as well. And I, you know, I, I always get demystified by how we don't actually sell it ourselves individually uh, yes. enough. And I think it's, it's a responsibility of, of everyone to, mm. to take stock and have a look how good it is. And, and I know, Matt, you sort of love your numbers. So there's, uh, and there's also some, some pretty good evidence to show that, you know, we're not the worst place in Australia. We, it, it's pretty good here. No, look, the top, top 10 at the moment for job creation here, um, you know, and we're, we're not at risk. You know, we, we haven't had the massive asset price bubble that, that the capital cities in Australia have had, so it's it's quite secure. We're pretty robust and we're, we're heading the right way. Um, so there's there really is a lot to like at the moment, and I think Carl's absolutely right. We don't say it enough. Um, it's often the people that have just moved here that, that sort of highlight it. Wow, how good is the weather, you know, but um, definitely put Townsville on your radar if it's not already. No, that's fantastic, and and as we're we're learning with these podcasts, they do go everywhere, and and uh, you know we have we have a lot of listeners down in our southern states and in Sydney and Melbourne and that as well. So hopefully they'll they'll Google it and have a look and and um and have a look at some of these projects and and maybe even have a read of this report when it comes out. No, absolutely. All right, thanks, Carl. Thanks for your time always, and and thanks, Matt. Thanks for your time, and um and you're all volunteering to to throw these great ideas out to our city, and and that's what we love about the business community here. No one ever shirks away from volunteering their time, and uh, we really appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks, Ross. Cheers. We appreciate you tuning in to the Townsville Chambercast. Subscribe and follow to receive Chambercast updates for your morning commute every second Friday. Thanks for listening, and remember to think, support 
celebrate and go local. This podcast is proudly funded by the Australian and Queensland governments through the Disaster Recovery Funding Arrangements. We would also like to thank our show partner, Adits, for making this podcast possible. Adits are your local IT provider with one purpose, to implement effective technology solutions which empower their customers to achieve their mission. You can find out more about how they can support you and your business over on their website, adits.com.au. A-D-I-T-S dot com dot A-U.